Well, I wish you'd keep playing. That is a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah is right. Yep. Blood of the Lamb. We are under it right now. Every doorway that you walked through when you entered the sanctuary has been prayed over. That the blood of the Lamb would be on it. That you would come through the blood of the Lamb into this worship moment. We're putting the final piece in a journey that has taken us through winter. And spring is on the way. Yeah. One last critical piece. If we left this out, it wouldn't have been right. We couldn't have told the whole truth. This is not a comfortable truth that you're about to hear, but it's part of the whole truth. And so the Lamb of God and His Spirit are here. We're going to watch this video clip one more time, but I want to pray first. Oh, God, Jesus, the center of it all. I've never heard that one before, and I love it. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, we love that truth. And through the Spirit, He's here. He's receiving our worship now. Let it be acceptable in your sight, and may our, may our minds be open and our hearts receptive to what you are about to say through Holy Scripture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Still uh, relishing my favorite part of this little clip is when the guy falls into the bed. And I'm saying, bring it on. Get me in that bed. What am I doing up here? Uh, all right. My friend Glenn Oftahar, dear friend of mine, years ago gave me a, a four-line poem. Never heard it before, but I've never forgotten it since. I'm going to share it with you line by line, and I'm praying you will never forget this, this poem for the rest of your life, all right? We'll take it line by line. Some men die by shrapnel. My, these real-time images being satellited out of Ukraine, shrapnel, we know it now. Some men die by shrapnel. And some go down in flames. We've seen those flames, those high-rises, the missile hit crumbling. 
Some men die by shrapnel, and some go down in flames. But most men and most women perish inch by inch playing silly games. Isn't that something? That's the truth of life. Apathy. Disconnect. Not really living. No real life. Ah, feels like we ought to have an altar call right now. For the young in particular. Hey, listen up, guys. You're going to have to die for something someday. A professor of mine in the seminary once said, you can only be a martyr once, so choose your cause carefully. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Some men die by shrapnel. Some go down in flames, but most men perish inch by inch playing silly games. So what are you giving your life for? Hmm? Here's the altar call. If only we had a young man here who was willing to lay down his life for Jesus. An old man, too, would be fine. If only we had a young woman here who was willing to lay down her life for her Savior, older woman would be fine. I'm telling you what, you're going to have to die for something, sis. Yo, bro, you can only be a martyr once. Die for Jesus. That's what I'm thinking. Die for Jesus. I ought to sit down right now and let the Holy Spirit kind of massage our minds and hearts with that thought. But I'm not going to sit down because I have something to say. And I'm praying that through every word you're about to hear, the Holy Spirit will be there right beside you, getting you ready to make a decision in this place right now. Open your Bible right now, please, to the, the mighty last book of the Bible, the Apocalypse. Come on, find the book of Revelation. My, oh, my. Part 7, a banner unfurled. We're going to the Apocalypse together, you and I. And on these pages, I want to show you a depiction of the last generation of friends Jesus has on earth, the last generation of loyalists, the last generation of disciples. I'm going to show you the picture right here. You say, Dwight, how do you know this is the last generation? I'll tell you how I know. Because take a look at this. Follow my finger. Just follow my finger right up there. You're looking at the rose window, the famous rose window of the Pioneer Memorial Church. Who's that? That's Jesus sitting on a cloud. He's coming back, the second coming. And by the way, you don't know what an honor it is for me to preach in this space where I stand at the foot of a cross and it's embedded in dark wood in this wooden platform. And I stand beneath the highest point of this church, which is a stained glass depiction of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to take a look. Take a look at the line. We're, we're in Revelation chapter 14. Have you opened your Bible to Revelation 14? Let's go to Revelation 14. There's one line. See if the line works. See if it fits, the stained glass I'm talking about. Here's the line, Revelation 14, 14. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is there a white cloud? Yep, check. We got the white cloud. And seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. Is there? Yep, seated on the cloud. There he is. With a crown of gold on his head. Check, check. And a what in his hand? A sharp sickle. 
That's the picture right there. Revelation 14, 14 is the return of Christ. It's being portrayed. It's a word picture. We just saw it. It's a graphic depiction of that moment we live for. But just before, hey, come on, just before that, that picture is a graphic depiction of the generation that will be alive, loyalists of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, just before. So, so Jesus comes in verse 14. We've got to go. Verse 12. Take a look at verse 12. This is the generation. Here we go. Revelation 14, verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. David Bentley Hart, in his critical one-man translation of the New Testament. Last, uh, you know, in this series, we had Robert Alter with the one-man, three-volume translation of Hebrews, this, uh, of the Old Testament in Hebrew. This is in Greek. One man translated the whole New Testament. Here's how he renders this verse. Here is the endurance of the holy ones. They've been holyized. Here is the endurance of the holy ones who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Wow. And with only that single line, if that's all we had, what would we know about the last generation? Number one, we would know that they are radically obedient because they keep the commandments of God. And number two, we would know that they are passionately Christocentric because they have, they keep the faith of Jesus. That's all we need to know. That's it. In fact, the elderly John, used to be John boy when he was growing up with Jesus, but the elderly John, earlier in his book, has already described them. This is just his second. In case you missed it the first time, that's what he's saying. Here it is again. But let me show you the first time. This is Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, and the dragon. You know who the dragon is? Who's the dragon? You help me out. Who's that dragon? That is Satan. That is that old serpent, that ancient serpent called the devil who deceives the whole world. You got it right. And the dragon, Satan, was enraged over the woman. That's the faith community through all time. He's enraged over the faith community, and he goes off to wage a war with the rest. They're coming at the very end. The rest of her seed, her children. Who are these children? Who keep the commandments of God and hold to the witness of Jesus. There they are, the same two identifiers. Radical obedience, passionate Christ-centeredness. Jesus lights their fire. That's who this last generation is. Jesus lights their fire. My. Knowing what we know now, we are not going to be surprised at what we are about to discover. In case you haven't discovered this before, hold on. Watch this. Okay, so, so here it is. Uh, Revelation 14, 14, Jesus comes. Just before it, verse 12, okay, this is a generation, these radical loyalists, passionate for Jesus. Okay, that's verse 12. Now, verse 6 and 7 is the final message, God's last appeal to the human race that he will send through these loyalists to the entire planet. They're just a small band. How could a small band reach the whole planet? You watch. You'll see it happen in your lifetime, I pray. But I want you to catch this message. Fascinating message. Wow. Here we go. This is chapter 14 now. We've gone up to verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying. And angelos, it, it means messenger. So it's a symbol of messengers. You're one of the messengers. I'm one of the messengers, I pray. 
Then I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel. Gospel means good news. So this is very good news. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, and in the Greek, megalephone, that is uh, the two Greek words, and we get the English word megaphone. So this is not a whimper. This is not a whisper. He is megaphoning this to the entire human race. Then he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. I mean, did you catch that? Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. In other words, capital C, creator. Worship the creator. And I find, I don't know about you, but I find this line absolutely stunning. You know why? Because you think about it. God's last appeal to the human race will be a call to return to the creator God of the universe. Now, get this, get this, get this. A call to a generation, a civilization that is intellectually, culturally, academically, socially, and even theologically written off the existence of a creator God. There is no God. That's this generation. Just look at social media. Just look at the entertainment. Just look at the the big thinkers, the big brains in the nation. That's this generation. And here's what's so stunning. 1,900 years earlier, God says, write this down, John boy. Write this down because my last generation will have to take a message to a world that has no concept or no heart for a creator. 1,900 years in advance, he said, that will be the final message. That will be my last word to the human race. And wouldn't you know it, I don't suppose we ought to be surprised about this at all. The very last line, the very last line of this global appeal is the very last line of the fourth commandment. I'm going to show it to you right now. I'll put the fourth commandment on. Now, we're talking about the Greek because this is written in the Greek. And we have a Greek Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. So watch this. This will amaze you. Okay, so let's just put the fourth commandment up. Everybody knows the fourth commandment. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. In the Greek, it reads this way. This is English. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Watch now. The final appeal of God to the human race in the Greek language. Watch this. And note the words that are underlined. Revelation 14, we just read it. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. Look at the two lines. They're identical. Identical. What's going on here? Well, if you were a reader that knew Greek when this was written and you were new in the Christian faith, which had its basis in Judaism... You would have recognized immediately, wait a minute, 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 that's the same line, that's the line that ends, it's the fourth commandment. And yes, it is. Isn't that amazing? Here are these people, God's last appeal to the human race. And what is it? Eight words in the English, eight words in the Greek, which for me, okay, for me, Being interpreted means God, for the final generation on this planet, that means everybody on the planet, God puts a a glowing halo around the fourth commandment. He pulls it out. 
He isos it. He pulls it out. And he says, I want you to look at those words very carefully. My final appeal to you is based on that fourth commandment. Am I making this up? You can't make this up. Embedded through the millennia. And now we see it. Whoa, God's final appeal. The maker of all things loves and wants me. That's right. That's the capital C creator of the universe. Come back to me. I do exist. I am your life. Without me, it's curtains. Come now. Come. The angel is flying. Come quick. Come now. Come back. I made you. I am yours. That means that God's last friends, God's last loyalists on this planet will be Sabbatarians. All right? They will be the keepers of God's seventh-day Sabbath. We've spent seven parts reminding ourselves that that is an incontrovertible truth in Scripture. Wow. And guess who has warred against Sabbatarians from the get-go? Who do you suppose has warred against them? Oh, you know, that old serpent, that ancient serpent called the devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world. Yep, that dark and demonic enemy of the Creator God and His universe and this planet, he's, he causes a war in heaven. There was war in heaven. And guess what? Now we got war on earth. You know why we have war on earth? Because He's here. That's why. We all, we're all fingering a, a human cause to this war. There's a, there's a demonic cause behind the human agent, and the demonic cause is, is none other than the dragon. You know why? If you read my blog this last week, because into Christless graves, he can sweep masses of humanity. Too late. You're dead. No chance now. No chance for you. That's why he can do it on massive scale. Nah. But he's had his eye on Sabbatarians from the get-go. Can you prove that, Dwight? I sure can. I'm going to run five short stories by you right now, okay? Check them out. Count them. Make sure I don't leave one out. Five stories. Story number one. Once upon a time, there was a Sabbatarian queen of a pagan nation. Go figure. Yep, it's true. And she, being a young Jewess, was marked by the dragon for extermination, along with her fellow Jews, her fellow Sabbatarians throughout the empire. Yeah. Why? Because from the beginning, the dragon has despised the Creator God. That's why. Any evidence of him, any shred that would direct my mind to him. Get it. Remove it. Destroy it. Kill him. Just kill him. And this Sabbatarian queen was marked. And all of her people. Yeah. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, the king of the empire, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. They weren't separatists. They had blended into the culture. But this is the cell line. Someday these words will be repeated. Mark my words. Keep reading. Their customs are different from those of all the other people. And they do not obey the king's laws. Mm -mm. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. O king, live forever. So if it pleases you, let a decree 
let that word remain in your mind as well. Let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to, to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. I'll take care of them, O king. It'll be adios, because the world never, never likes something that pricks its conscience. Get rid of them. But for the intervention of the Creator Himself, an entire generation of Sabbatarians would have been exterminated just like that. All right, I said there are five stories. Here comes story. Here comes stories number two and three. Once upon another time, four Hebrew young Sabbatarians were marked for extermination. Three of them end up in a raging, fiery inferno because they wouldn't bow down to an image. You'll hear that word again. They wouldn't bow down to the king's idol. They are thrown into the fire, and guess what? In the fire, they are greeted by the creator God of the universe as they walk and talk together untouched and unfazed. Apparently, he can take care of his loyalists. Can I get an amen for that? He can take care of you. You lose a job, he'll take care of you. You get cut off, he'll take care of you. They turn on you, he'll take care of you. It's been a lot of Sabbatarians from the beginning. Don't you apologize for what you are. And one of those four boys, not, not, not on that day with the three, he goes even higher into the political uh, infrastructure of the empire, and now he is marked because he's Sabbatarian. And they go in to another, another king. Daniel 6, verse 6, so these administrators and satraps were political uh, associates of Daniel. They went as a group to the king and they said, O king, Darius, Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors and governors, we have all agreed, yes, we have, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree. Oh, there's that decree again, and enforce it. Ah, that's becoming familiar language, that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, Your Majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. There's that word again. It keeps coming up, a governmental decree against Sabbatarians. So they throw Daniel into the lion's den. He's not going to pray to a king. He's not going to pray to a human being. I will only bow my knee to God. I will not bow to a human. Throw him in the lion's den. King realizes too late he was tricked. Everybody knows the story and loves it because God sends his angel. The devil is a lion that walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Yeah, it was the devil's den that Daniel got thrown into. Yeah. Wow. So for the inner... But for the intervention of the Creator, that, that, that high governmental official would have been exterminated just like that. It has been the dragon's quest. Get rid of them all. Kill them. Oh, here comes uh, story number two. Once upon another time, a faithful band of loyalists high in the Italian Alps quietly went about preserving the long line of Sabbatarians through human history. Their refusal to bow their knee to the image of a counterpower, an institution that commanded their allegiance, their refusal 
marked them. And the Piedmontese massacre that John Milton ended up composing his famous English poem about men, women, and children slaughtered, bloody, wave after wave of bloodthirsty armies sent into those northwest Alps of Italy, sent from Rome. Yeah. As I say, even in death, the Creator preserves their intrepid witness as Sabbatarians, these who would keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, radically obedient, passionately Christ. And then again, here comes number five. Once upon another time, the raging dragon turned a maniacal despot in Germany against the Sabbatarians of Europe, and six million of them were exterminated while the world watched in horror. Gone, six million Sabbatarians. Call them what you will. And I think of what we're doing now. The whole world is watching. We're not, we can't do anything. <sighs> Obviously. What we've spent this winter brooding over bears huge and eternal consequences. Shall Sabbatarians lay down their lives for the Creator God? Question, would you? Would you? Let's not make it hypothetical. Would you? Revelation 13. That's the chapter between 14 and 12. Revelation 13. And by the way, I spent several chapters of my new book, American Apocalypse, that the publisher has just begun to market. I spent several chapters, and I'm going to spare you the details here. You can, you can read it later. Detailing how this nation, American Apocalypse, how this nation is drawn in to the end game. Let me put on the screen kind of a summation from uh, Revelation 13. Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw a second beast coming up out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon, like the devil himself. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and it made the earth and its inhabitants do something. I want you to note this word and call it out to me. What is this word here? The word is worship. The word is worship. We've already heard that word, haven't we? Worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water. Mm -hmm. Now we run into it again. This beast power is going to force the earth not to worship the almighty creator God. No, no, you'll worship this institution. You will worship this power. He made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. So whatever's going on here, obviously the key word is worship. Because worship is the heart and soul of God's final appeal to the human race, isn't it? Yeah. This beast power is actually forcing the, worship, forcing the world to worship a counterfeit little g God on earth. So that what you have here is a little g God and a cat big g God through their surrogates are meeting in the end game. And it's not the Colosseum. It's real life war. Ideological at a price. It's a battle for worship and allegiance between the surrogates or loyalists at the end of time. 
The dragon has a people he leads. God has a people who keep the commandments of God and keep the faith of Jesus. Okay, here's verse 15, same chapter. This is all I'm going to share. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image. Wait a minute, have we had that word image before? Yes, we have. To give breath to the image. The whole world is commanded to worship this image. Bow down to it. To give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refuse to do what? To do what? To worship. To worship the image. To be killed. You will or else. That's it. It's not, not rocket science to figure that out. It's exactly what's written there. My, oh my, oh my. The universal showdown in the endgame. Please mark this down in your, in your heart. The universal showdown in the endgame is a showdown over authority. That's what it'll be. Who has the authority to command me to do something? A human power? A divine being? Whom will you whom will you obey? Whose authority will be ultimate in your life? That's a rather provocative question, and I suppose I ought to be asking it now. Whose authority reigns in my life? Wow, worship, plain and simple. The end game, bloody and cruel. That will be the price that once again Sabbatarians must pay as loyalists of the Creator on a planet finally ruled by the iron fist of the bloody dragon. You will. You will. And then shall the end come. That's it. It's over. That picture comes true. He's on the cloud. So where do you stand? Where do I stand? It's a good question. I'm reading a book now by Rod Dreher. Fascinating book, thanks to the kindness of two viewers who sent me the book. The title of the book, Live Not By Lies. It's a line straight out of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's final essay to, the, to his beloved Russian people before he is exiled forever, forbidden to ever return to his homeland. Live Not By Lies. It's a troubling book. Though Dreher writes nothing about Sabbatarians, please be clear on that. Instead, he focuses on, the exa- uh, on an inspi- inspiring examination of the Christian dissenters in Eastern Europe, World War II and right after when communism as a totalitarian power was just taken over that whole, that whole region. Uh, it's stories from, the, from uh, Czechoslovakia, the former Czechoslovakia, stories of clerics who stood up, who gathered small groups of the young and began to nurture them, began to train them. Hey, listen, here's the real story, because everything is about changing the story so that the young never find out the real story. Anyway. But he, 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 he makes a point here, and I'm going to put it on the screen, because the moment I read these words, I said, that has Sabbatarian written all over it. He's not talking Sabbatarian, but you watch. So 
Before we get there, just a reminder, we're talking about the contest between worship, and there it is as plain as the nose on your face. We have one, God's final appeal to the, to the earth, worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water, or, it's a choice of authority, worship the image of the beast and receive the mark of the beast. Everybody knows about the mark of the beast. It comes straight out of that story. So now, Dreher, look what he says. To those who want to keep cultural memory alive, and I'm thinking immediately of the culture of Sabbath keeping. We have spent seven Sabbaths together. Why? Because we've lost the culture. We've lost the memory. It has no longer become a way now. It's just a day. It's no longer the way. We have to go back to the way of the Sabbath. And that's why we spent this valuable time. What's he saying? To those who want to keep the cultural memory alive, you do and I do, it is not enough to pass on historical information to the young. This parish is so blessed, I'm going to tell you how, with hundreds of men and women who do nothing but spend their time standing in front of the young. You can start with elementary school. You can move up to secondary education. You can move up to uh, undergraduate. You can move up to graduate. These are professional men and women who stand in front of the young, casting a vision, shaping a generation. And his point to them and to me is this. It is not enough, Dwight, just, just to pass on historical information to the young. They don't need more history. Watch this. Keep reading. The truths carried by tradition must be lived out subjectively. It has to be happening in my life. I can't make it as a lecture and expect you to go out and believe it. Until you can see it in me, you won't believe it. These kids are not going to believe. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Fair enough. That is, they, these men and women, called to stand before the young, they must be not only studied, these truths, but also embodied in shared social practices. Words, certainly, but more important, deeds. Keep reading. Communities must have living models. And I praise God for who you are. I praise God. There's no parish with as many teachers in it as this one, I don't think. Anywhere. I praise God. For the living models of men and women who enact these truths, and I'm talking Sabbath now, enact these truths in their daily lives, nothing else works. Unless I see it in you, I don't believe it. You can keep talking until you're blue in the face. Dwight, you can keep preaching until you're blue in the face. I'm not going to believe it. I want to see it in you. Prove it to me. They have a right to. Ask. Why? Because it is when you live out the truth of the Sabbath by the way you keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, that others realize the high calling of being a Sabbath-keeping loyalist of Christ himself. They see it. I got it. I got it. The young, have to, the young have to see it in you and in me, and not just hear it from you and from me. I got to see it in you. So now we come to the altar call. I promise you we would. We need a new generation of Sabbatarians, I'm telling you. We need a new generation. We can be the new generation. We need a new generation of Sabbatarians unapologetic about their loyalty to the Creator, uncompromising in their practice of the Sabbath, unafraid to unfurl the banner of God's seventh-day Sabbath, unafraid and unashamed, who will take up their cross and lay down their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. How's that little rhyme go? Some men die by shrapnel, and some go down in flames. But most men perish inch by inch, playing silly games. Not you. 
Not you, not me. No, no, no. So, what are you, what are you going to give your life for? May I ask that? What are you going to give your life for? If only we had a young man here, or maybe not so young, who was willing to put it all on the line for Jesus and the Sabbath. If only we had a young woman here in the back of the balcony, in the front of the sanctuary, who was willing to put it all on the line for her Savior as Lord of the Sabbath. Hey, listen, sis, you're going to have to die for something. Yo, bro, you can only be a martyr once. So what will you die for? It's even harder to ask the question, what will you live for? That's the hardest of all. It's easy to die. It's harder to live. Anybody here willing to do just that? Lay down your life for Jesus in his Sabbath. Are you willing? I'm going to give you an invitation right now. If you're willing to be one of those loyalists, I'm going to ask you to get out of that pew and come straight here to the front right now. Just come. There's no music playing. This is not an emotional moment. It is an intellectual decision. And if there's somebody here to be that young man, if there's somebody here to be that young woman or not so young, I want you to come here. Don't, don't just stand up. Just come, come here. Come to the front. You willing to put your life on the line in front of your students? Willing to stand for the Lord of the Sabbath in front of your friends? Radical obedience who keep the commandments of God, passionate Christ-centeredness and keep the faith of Jesus. How about from the balcony? How about the teens up there? You come on down. Go ahead and come on down from the balcony. We won't go anywhere. It'll be good. It'll be good to have you here. We need to see the young. We need to see the young. I'm not asking you to get up because everybody, yeah, but Dwight, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. I'm not putting any pressure on you. I've, we've spent seven Sabbaths together. Don't talk to me about pressure. It's the Word of God we have to make a decision about. We can just say, oh, that's wonderful. What next? We can't do that. We have to stop now and say, okay, what am I doing with what I've heard? What am I doing with what he teaches? What the Spirit of God teaches me? Come on. I see you from the, from the balcony coming on in. Come on. Good for you. God bless our teens. You don't come because somebody else is coming. You just come. There's nothing. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to a church. You're coming to the capital C creator of the universe who says, I, I gave it all. I laid it all on the line in a place called Calvary. I was willing to die forever so that you might live forever. Give me your life. The Bible says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Ecclesiastes 12.1. This is the time while you're young to stand for him. I'm so proud of you. Nobody can take this away from you. And one day, one day, this moment will come back to your memory for your blessing, for your encouragement. One day, you remember. So God bless you all. God be with you. 
I'm going to put uh, the words of James Russell Lowe, an American poet. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side. By the light of burning martyrs, Christ, thy bleeding feet we track, toiling up new Calvaries ever with the cross that turns not back. It's a big deal, your decision, and I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm going to join you right now. I'm going to stand right here at the front. I want the singers to come out. This makes, this is a powerful hymn. It's an ancient hymn. But we'll sing it with them as our expression of our commitment. And by the way, let me just say to those who are watching live stream, we're really glad to have you. Obviously, you can't walk forward. If you go to, if you just uh, text Banner 6, just text Banner 6. To our number, 269-28-12345. Just text Banner 6. You can make the same decision we're making right now. Just go. You, you, you'll see it. And singers, come on. Sing this with all your hearts. <laughs> 